Hey everyone, Beyond the Baseline is brought to you by the SeatGeek app. The easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app, enter the code BEYOND for $20 off your first purchase. We're also sponsored by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter the promo code BEYOND at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. Where is doubles right now? Where, where do you sort of see its place in the tennis firmament? It's it's in an okay place. I mean, the Bryans have done a lot for our sport. Just setting a idea for how you need to behave as a tennis player, both on and off the court. If we could have more teams could just follow their lead of, we need to engage fans. You know, we need to shake every hand. We need to sign autographs. We need to be, we need to really be aware that this is sports entertainment. and We need to put on a good product on the court. We would be in a better place. I think a little bit of the problem is as players get older and spend more and more years on tour they can become a little bit jaded they don't want to go the extra mile hey everyone john wertheim here this week's sports illustrated tennis podcast our guest today a doubles player a board member the president of the atp players council Eric Buderak, a.k.a. Booty, it says in your Wikipedia entry, I'll have you know. How are you, Eric? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, John. Where uh, where are we getting you? Where are you? I am in Metz, France, uh, playing an ATP event this week. Actually, I'd love to challenge your knowledge. You know where, you know where Metz is? I was going to say, City Field. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's go Metz. We are in eastern France this week in a, in a small town playing a, an indoor ATP event. And all right, this leads us right into. Uh, we'll start right here. What's uh, what's post U.S. Open like for you? Um, I mean, for for most everyone, we 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 move indoors. We do a little bit of uh, an Asian swing, usually followed up by Europe. Um, there is one week this week. Uh, there's tournaments in St. Petersburg and Metz. I'm here in Metz, and then off to Asia next week to play uh, Kuala Lumpur, Tokyo, and Shanghai. That's a lot of miles. It's it's the time where we uh, all achieve our highest level of frequent flyer statuses. Say, you've, you've got medallion <laughs> status coming. What what is there to do at uh, 9:30 at night in Metz, France? Um, I am currently sitting in the players' lounge watching a doubles match with the U.S. Open champions, uh, Air Bear and Mahout, and just finish a nice French dinner. That was great. To see. we'll we'll get to, to doubles in a second, but uh, I'm I'm happy your French dinner. I'm also happy for a Bear and Mahout, a guy who tennis karma owes some good to and he got a, a u.s open title and ni- nice to see a new young doubles player on the uh on the firmament in other yeah, words they're, they're both say. they're both actually really good guys too so it, 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 like you said it's it's fun to see fun to see some of the good guys pick up a title this is all what to say I, I envy you eating a french dinner and watching <laughs> atp doubles on a on a weeknight in in Metz. um so you turned 34 this year as did roger I federer did. Serena Williams is uh is is coming to 34 in a few days. What what is that age like for you and what is that like for a doubles player? Um I think you know a lot of us are realizing that you can actually still stay pretty physically fit well into your 30s. I would say that would be one of the biggest changes we've seen with with professional tennis or all professional sports therefore is you're seeing a lot of players having much longer 
careers. You know, we know more about fitness. We know more about diets. Um, we t all take very good care of our bodies. So, um, you know, you're able to play really high level tennis into your thirties, um, for someone like me. And I, I imagine for Roger, you know, in a different way, but it really becomes a lot about balancing the family life. Um, I have a nearly two year old son back at home and, and a wife and have to really manage, you know, my travel schedule and, and try to still be a good dad. And I think, um, you know, that will, probably be what takes me away from the game of tennis before actually my ability level or my body. You're preempting what few questions I have. So, uh, so talk <laughs> about that. As I, I think most players uh, do not have the, the good fortune, emphasis on fortune, to travel with childcare and, and bring their kids on there. I mean, Federer is obviously um, a, a prominent example of that, but you, you do see more and more kids, I, I feel like, wandering around and in players' lounges. But there is... A logistical issue that comes with that. There's expense that comes with that. For for a guy like you, how how do you manage it? How do you manage a two year old and a, and a wife at home? You know, it's um, it's been a learning process. Um, I think we found that actually the easiest time to travel with him was within the first year when he was real small and and you know kind of just slept whenever he wanted to. Now actually being closer to two, it's been uh, a tougher year travel wise. So we've had to really pick and choose our events. Um, we choose events like. You know, the U.S. Open, like Wimbledon, events that will be longer, events that offer childcare, um, these quick trips to like Mets and Kuala Lumpur, they obviously really aren't feasible to bring a child. So these are ones that I go to by myself, which which is hard. I mean, it's hard to, you know, try to be a dad over FaceTime. But, um, you know, that that's part of the job. And you don't get just to, you don't get to just play Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. You know, you have to play a lot of other events to, to keep your level high and, and, and make sure that you qualify for those events. So that's, uh, that's what I'm out here doing. I don't know if you heard a few weeks ago, we, we had a, a great podcast, if I do say so myself, oh, owing to the guest um, with, with, with Kevin Anderson and, and his wife. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know, if you, if you know Kelsey, but uh, she talked a little bit about from the female perspective, what it was like to be married to a pro as, as a player. What's, What's it like to be in this job and have a spouse at home? It's, um, yeah, I know, I know, I know Kevin and Kelsey very well. And she's actually taken really on to writing a lot from the perspective of the wife exactly. of a tennis player. And it's become very interesting. I think a lot of people are enjoying, um, you know, her perspective on the whole experience. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great lifestyle. It's, it's a dream that you have as a kid that you then, once you actually achieve it, you can, you can hardly believe that you're doing it. Um, you know, walking through the gates of Wimbledon for the first time, it's, it's surreal. Um, as you do it, you know, year after year, you know, going play all the tournaments you know they they lose a little bit of their allure it's not quite the same you know joy or excitement but it's still you realize what a special career it is you have you realize that it's it's got a finite time to it so you know you're not gonna be able to do this forever um so i i realized that but there becomes a point where some of the challenges and some of the the limitations become too great where, you know, Hey, I, I'm missing out on, on some other parts of my life that I, that I really want to partake in. And I think that is what, what drives people to stop. Um, but you know, that being said, I, I never actually even had the goal of being a pro tennis player. I came from, came from Minnesota. I played division three tennis. It was never really on my radar. So to be out here and, you know, to, to be getting to, to actually become friends with guys like Roger Federer. I mean, it's, it's a life that I never dreamed that I would live. And, and I'm just trying to, you know, enjoy whatever last, you know, years it is that I have left. How has that impacted you having such an unconventional, uh, 
you know, you, you did not have the classic credentials of, of players out here having played. God bless Gustavus Adolphus. <laughs> but um, I'm not sure uh, Feeder to the ATP is one of uh, that great school's um, calling cards. How, how is the sort of, I mean, I always, I always thought of you as, as sort of the, the unlikely tennis player, you know, D3 and made it as a doubles player. How, how has that impacted your perspective, though, that this is also unexpected? I would think that maybe I have a little more appreciation, you know, for what I'm able to do than some guys. I mean, there are, there are plenty of people who do appreciate it, but I think that a lot of people have such great expectations put upon them at a young age that they feel like if they aren't, you know, winning so many matches or achieving a certain ranking that they're then failing. And I think for me coming out of Gustavus, the greatest thing that I had going for me from the beginning is that no one expected me to do anything. So when I made my first ATP point, it was seen as a, seen as a huge success. And then when I got into the top 100, when I qualified for a Grand Slam, people were like, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing this. So I've been able to sort of ride that mentality through my entire career. Um, so it's like everything I've done has been seen as, has been seen as such a positive. Um, whereas I know that just getting to know some of these players, I mean, players who win junior grand slams, you know, that can often be a very tough thing because then people think, oh, you won the junior French Open. You know, when are you going to win an actual, you know, grand slam? Well, that's actually pretty tough to do. Not a lot of players do win a junior slam and then go on to win a grand slam but they're tagged with those expectations at such a young age and that can really be tough on kids has it inhibited you at all i mean i always felt this way um i feel like the statute of limitations has lapsed i always felt a little bit this way about james blake that he said look i was never this junior prodigy everything is gravy i never expected to be here this life is a joke um but but i wonder sometimes if that didn't rob him of of some of the urgency that the, the fact that it was also unexpected um, maybe didn't blunt s some some urgency that maybe other players felt. Do you do you feel like this is all so unexpected as inhibited you at all? I don't think it would be so much as a sense of urgency as maybe it's been like a a sense of belief or confidence that I've lacked. Maybe you know through my progression is like I. I I never actually believed that I was as good as some of my peers. You know, I, I think I lost the Brian brothers like the first eight or nine times I played them. And I remember my coach telling me like, hey, you got to believe that you can beat the Brian brothers. He's like, you got to believe that. And I'm just like, how am I supposed to believe that when I've lost to them nine times in a row? Like, I'm clearly not as good as them. You know, like for me, I, I just, it was really hard for me to see myself, you know, at the level that I actually was or at the next level up. And I think that I've, you know, dealt with, you know, those kinds of confidence issues more than any, th anything. So I would say, you know, that would be the, the thing that's held me back and something that I've had to, to battle with over the past five years. Did you deal with that formally? I mean, was it sports, sports psychology or, or just working through this with yourself? Never. I mean, never. I mean, sure, I worked at the number. I mean, I'm one of these guys who I never had one coach, you know, my, my entire life. And I, I like to dabble and work with lots of different people and take in everything I can get. I mean, the guy who I worked with most was my collegiate coach. His name was Steve Wilkinson. He was oh, legend. a, a legendary coach. And yes. Um, so he was always my, my, my coach and sports psychologist. So I think I, I turned to him a lot. Um, and he actually passed away this January, um, the day of my first round match in Australia. So actually not having him around this year has been a pretty huge void for me because it, it's, it's taken away my number one go-to for after tough matches, after you know, losing streaks to, to not have the person that I've reached out to for the past 20 years, you know, in my corner. And, and my wife has suggested actually that I, I look out for someone new and, and it's something that I haven't done, but that could be, you know, yeah, you, a grieving process slash sports psychology issue. Smart wife. 
Um, I, I know the answer to this, but to tell, why don't you tell us all? To tell us what your wife does. Uh, she's a psychology major, but she is now actually um, she's a mother slash chef. Oh, I like that better. And you—that's that, yeah. why you're based in you're, you're based in Boston, right? Yes, I, I made a lateral move from Minnesota to Boston. Yeah, exactly. You uh, <laughs> you, tra- you traded Teddy Bridgewater for Tom Brady, though, so that's that's a considerable yeah, upgrade. Upgraded with sports teams and kept the same on the weather. I like the people of Minnesota better. Hey, everyone. If it seems like everyone is playing fantasy football, well, it's because it's true. They are. You, on the other hand, should not miss out. And now with FanDuel, you can play with up to $200 in bonus cash with our code BEYOND. You probably heard of FanDuel. You can scarcely miss it these days. FanDuel is everywhere. It is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site over $75 million a week this football season. Entry fees start at just $1. Games are already live in the FanDuel lobby. You don't have to wait to start building up your teams. More than a million players have won money playing fantasy football on FanDuel. Now it's your turn. Here's what you do. Go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use the code BEYOND, and sign up now. There's a special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks that get earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. The offer is good for the first 50 people that use my code BEYOND. Don't get left out. FanDuel.com. Use the code BEYOND. Start playing fantasy football today. So uh, you, you, you mentioned the Bryan brothers. I saw you and Raven Clausen beat the Bryan brothers in Australia, uh, maybe 18 months ago. What What are some of the highlights of, of your career? I, I assume beating the Bryan brothers at a major would rank among them, but when you when you look back at your career as a doubles player, what uh, give, give me a few memories that stand out. Um, yeah, I would say number one, I mean, that year we made the finals of the Australian Open. Um, we beat the Bryans. We played Leighton Hewitt and Pat Rafter in the first round. You know, Rafter made, played a comeback match that year. We happened to draw him. Um, you know, we played a couple of matches on, on Rod Laver Arena. So that's probably number one. I've always had good success in Australia. Um, my two best friends live down there. So that's every year I go down there for that, that tournament. And, you know, I've made the semis. I've made the finals. I've made the quarters a number of times. Like, I always seem to play well down there. Um, for me, a lot of the memories revolve around playing some of the best players in the world you know i, I got a win over rafa in uh, in indian wells in a packed you know packed stadium in one of my first years on the on the real atp tour so for me that was kind of like a wow i used to watch this guy on tv and now i'm in the stadium and winning um so that was really a big moment but you know a lot of the a lot of the great memories too are for me the you know the ups and the downs of of spending a full year with a doubles partner training hard together you know working on things um and, and really seeing the the process of trying to improve as a, as a player and as a team and that's probably what i've actually really enjoyed enjoyed most over the over the past 10 to 15 years why is it so hard for you guys not named brian to stick together um probably just that the the grass is always greener on the other side (laughs) you know you you see other players and you think that you think that you can be a better player with them um you know i played with classen last year and we finished number eight in the world and you know we were playing great and he came to me at the end of the year and said i want to move on and, and play with pays and 
you know, that was that was a tough one for me because we were really playing well and you know we were beating teams like Murray Piers and you know Roger Tecau and and some of the you know some of the Air Baron Mahout we beat them in the last tournament of the year at, at, in Paris and you know now these teams are winning slams and I felt like we were right there with them so so that that was a hard one for me to, to swallow um, but something that is that happens a lot out here and I think guys you know they see opportunities and they think it's a it's a better move for them so they so they jump. It all ha- it all has echoes of, of sort of Match.com and everybody has uh, sort of mu- musical <laughs> chairs meets uh, meets swipe dating. But um, how often would you say it's personal, and how often is it? Look, this is just the rules of engagement. I mean, you, you see oh, all, all these pairs, and sometimes you hear about bad blood, but other times it's, it seems like there's just this expectation of like, you know, when when things start to go south or at the end of the year, we're going to reassess. I think it's almost always professional. I think it it becomes personal because you become such good friends, you know, through through traveling and playing and wins and losses. So there's like a personal effect to it. I think very few, if any, you know, doubles partnerships have ended, you know, because of a personal problem. Um, but I would say that the you know the majority of the the teams split because they feel like they can't you know play well together i mean there's teams like one of the top teams in the world is uh, murray and pierce and and they're not very friendly off the court they don't actually get along that well but they, but they play great tennis and credit to them for sticking together even though they haven't ever been the best of friends where is doubles right now I mean, where, where do you sort of see its place in the tennis firmament <sighs> it's it's in an okay place um i mean the Bryans have done a lot for our sport um from leading the way from doing an incredible job with fans from you know just setting a sort of idea for how you need to behave as a test player both on and off the court um if we could have more teams that would follow their lead obviously no one's gonna have the story of being a twin brother number one in the world 100 titles but if more teams could just follow their lead of we need to engage fans you know we need to shake every hand we need to sign autographs we need to be we need to really be aware that this is sports entertainment and we need to put on a good product on the court we would be in a better place i think a little bit of the problem is as players get older and spend more and more years on tour they can become a little bit jaded they don't want to go the extra mile um so that's that set us back but um you know that being said I think it's in a good place. You know, double shines in Davis Cup. Um, a lot of the Masters events have had some really great fields. Indian Wells every year is really, really an awesome tournament that we look forward to in the doubles calendar. Um, so it's, it's, it's treading water, I would say. I, I always get, get asked this. Uh, who would win, Nadal and Federer or the Bryans? Or what would happen to doubles if all the top singles players played? Um, I'm not going to ask you to answer that, but but what is the relationship? I mean, how do you guys feel when some of these singles players sort of come in and come out? Do you, do you like it when Verdasco or Gasquet or, or Kyrgios is playing, or do you prefer just sort of two silos? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I play Verdasco tomorrow, so I mean, <laughs> I can let you know after that. Um, yes, but I, I think it's great when I think it's great when they want to play. Um, you know, you always it brings the biggest crowds. It it it's the it's the highlight for guys like me to get to play against those players. Um, you know, I wish they would play every week. It would make my job a lot harder, and it does already that they when you know that when when they do choose to play. But I think it's it's best for our sport. Um, 
you know, to answer the question you said you didn't want to ask me, you know, I, I, I do think like the, I do think the Bryans would beat most of the top players in the world. I think if those players would take doubles, you know, seriously over the long term, yes, they would develop the skills to, to beat teams like the Bryans. But, you know, in one off type matches, no, I don't think they're going to win the majority of the time. Hey, guys, I want to take a break and tell you about the best new way to find amazing deals on NFL, college football and concert tickets. It's called the SeatGeek app. Here's what you do. Enter our code BEYOND at SeatGeek. You get $20 off your first ticket purchase. The SeatGeek app takes less than a minute to download. It's free on the iPhone and Android smartphones. SeatGeek does a ton of things that other ticketing sites don't. One of them is aggregating from the big ticket sites. Just like when you search for flights and hotels online, SeatGeek pulls in options from hundreds of sellers. They create one-stop shopping for sports and concert tickets. You're seeing virtually every ticket option available for that game all on one page. There is no need to go anywhere else. Here's what you're going to do to get 20 bucks back on tickets and redeem this promo code. You're going to download the SeatGeek app today. It's quick. It's easy. You're going to enter the promo code BEYOND in the app. SeatGeek is going to send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. If you want to go see the NFL, the best concerts, you want to see tennis around the world, you could see Eric Buderak in Mets. You could see him next week in Kuala Lumpur, the World Tour Finals, the WTA Finals in Singapore. It's all there. Use the SeatGeek app. Enter our code BEYOND. Save $20. Sports Illustrated is part of the Panoply Network, and we have a new colleague in the sports section. It is Bram Weinstein. His name, no doubt, rings a bell. After seven years at ESPN, Bram finally has the freedom to speak his mind about the absurdity of the sports world from field to the TV studio to fantasy games. Talking Heads with Bram Weinstein releases on Tuesday. Find it on iTunes or visit panoply.fm. So I, m- I mentioned you're the president of the ATP Players Council. What did your pragmatic wife say when you said, honey, I think I'd like to balance my sports career with tennis politics. Um, <laughs> what, what, what made you take on this role and... In all seriousness, I mean, did, did this undercut your tennis, having this administrative post uh, alongside the sports? Uh, um, yes, a lot of questions there. But so her first response was, yes, you can do this, but you have to cut other things off your plate. I was, I was, I was freshly, I was a new, a new father at the time. I was coaching the Harvard tennis team on the side. Um, I was I, doing, Can I just stop you, know, you and say, I hope fatherhood was not sacrificed so you could sit... <laughs> In boardrooms and debate whether prize money needed to go up six or eight percent. I hope fatherhood was not one of the things that was removed from your plate. No, absolutely not. Right, um, but she did say that, hey, you know, you if you do want to take this seriously, I want you to do it, but you need to manage your time. Um, and I did. It was something that I found to, was was very important to me. Um, I'd been on the player council for like six years already so i had been taking the council work very seriously um fetter was stepping down i felt that we were in need of some really good leadership and although we had some powerful names on the council some guys like warinka you know john isner they they did need someone with some experience to lead the way and i was looking to get to get very involved in the the world of, of tennis business and i thought this would be a great opportunity what was it like succeeding fetter i mean we hear about it in all sorts of tennis and non-tennis ways, but strictly in the context of the Players' Council, what was it like coming after him? You know, I was never going to try to fill his shoes 
you know, the, the way that he wore them, um, I knew that that wasn't going to be possible. I mean, when, when he speaks, everyone listens. and But he also has a lot more demands on his time than, than someone like I do. Um, and I made that very well known to everyone that I would be a very accessible president. You know, I would respond to messages very quickly. I would always be available at tournaments. And I think players have really taken advantage of that. And they feel like they can reach out to me when there's even a, a very small problem, something that they would never bring to Federer um, but they, they will often bring it to me so I've able I've been able to understand and, and listen to a lot of players that being said my challenge has been to really understand where the top players are and you know what their lives are like because they have a lot different concerns than the more rank and file players so it's been a lot of time with me you know or I've had to spend a lot of time with guys like Favrinka or Burdich or you know conversations with Novak or Rafa about things that I need to help get for them or things that you know they want to see the tour change in a certain way um so that's been that's been my real challenge but um but it's been it's been an awesome experience i've loved every second of it how have you done that i mean it just strikes me that the priorities and interests and just sort of outlook of novak djokovic is totally different than a guy ranked 30 which is totally different than a guy ranked 80 how have you balanced all of these completely different perspectives and and sort of priorities. I mean, you know, yeah, Sergei Tchaikovsky's issues are not Stan Wawrinka's <laughs> issues. They aren't, and 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 tossing you know players from very different backgrounds as well, and you have even more opinions. You know, um, players that have concerns on you know money versus schedule versus whatever, just because of their cultural background. So it is a real challenge. Um, that being said, I think there is a real you know brotherhood out here. You know, we don't have a union. We're not actually allowed to unionize because we actually are part owners of the ATP tour. But I think we really have, you know, become a, a group in, in, in theory and, and realize that, hey, you know, we have to stand up for the rights of players together. And, and, and Roger really led the way in the last negotiations for Grand Slams, especially saying, hey, you know, we need more money, but we need more money for the lower players, for the guys to survive and make sure that they can live a good living. And when, when he set the tone with that, that you know, request, I think all the players followed, you know, whether it be Novak or Rafa or, you know, all the guys down down the line. Do the rank and file know this? I mean, I, I think, you know, I've, I've heard this from the other side, that Roger really stood up for the rank and file players and almost, almost to the extent that the top players took a financial hit for mm-hmm. the good of the group. Does, does everybody know that? Um, I don't know that they know the details of some of the negotiations. You know, I do, and I, I've shared them with some people. Um, you know, there were conversations that were had that were, you know, by him, and I was in the room that were, were pretty amazing. And so, you know, Sarah. I've tried to spread those when, when you know, appropriate. You, you but, have a platform uh, now. If this is an appropriate time, I'm sure our audience <laughs> would love to hear more details. It's some, it's some stuff that we probably don't really need to release to the world. Okay. But um, that being said, I think people have a pretty good idea. I mean, like... The question with Roger Federer that everyone always asks me, I mean, fans, you know, lower ranked players, juniors, whoever, they said, is Roger Federer really as nice a guy as he appears? And I said, honestly, he's better. I mean, the guy walks in the the room and it's literally like, I mean, every player wants to talk to him. He greets everyone. He treats people equally. Um, I mean, the guy is as good as he appears to be. He's actually better. I don't know what uh, tennis does in his absence, but he has vowed to play. I don't know if you saw that at the uh, at the U.S. Open final. I think some of the loudest cheers of the night came when Federer said, see you next year. Um, I, I see uh, – this is my segue 
I see you're you're playing next year as well. Um, I don't know about next year. I'm check, I'm, check I'm out the, that, the Wimbledon uh, right now. The Wimbledon 2016 website already has you as being in the field. <laughs> Do you really want to go up against the All England Club? Um, when, when you make this decision, though, you have a family. There, there are all sorts of considerations, but. Ha- is career 2.0 something that's swirling around? I mean, do you have a sense of what you want to be doing next? Um, I do. I have some 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 real interests in in, in the world of of tennis business. Um, I think when 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 the right opportunity presents itself, I, I will be ready to move on. Um, you know, I haven't had that just yet, but um, you know, I I am so passionate about our sport. Um, especially in the, in our country. And I, and I look forward to, to giving back in different ways, whether that be working with, you know, an organization like the ATP or the USTA or some other, you know, smaller venture. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about that, that next phase and it could come sooner, sooner rather than later. But, um, you know, I, it's, it's definitely something that's on my mind. That's for sure. Wait, let's keep going here and then we'll wrap up. When you look at tennis, um, you you just spoke so enthusiastically. I mean, what, what do you see as the core assets? What do, what gives you optimism? Um, I mean, I think we're you know we're, we're we're a worldwide sport that thrives throughout all of time, right? There's there's times when people will say, "Oh, American tennis is dead." Well, yes, American tennis has suffered a setback, but it's been thriving in Europe as as the top players are in Europe. You know. I think we have a great group of, of younger American male players coming through and, you know, we will have guys at the top of the game very soon. And, you know, and tennis in America will, will again thrive. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lifetime sport that, that everyone can play. Um, there's, there's no concerns about supporting our support and saying, Hey, is this actually a healthy sport for children to play? You know, which, which can be said about some of the more popular sports in America right now. So I think it's, it's a it's a fun sport to be behind. I think there's also a lot that can be done in the marketing of our sport, or maybe even more the branding of our sport. Um, I think you know television can improve. I think the way we tell the stories of our players can improve. Um, I know these guys really well, and there's a lot of really interesting stories out here. And I think if we can do a better job of you know unleashing these guys' personalities, the world will really enjoy the sport a lot more. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know. Like I said, in in what what way I'll be able to help out, but I do think that there's there's a lot of good out here, and I look forward to being a part of it for many years to come. I love hearing this for for all the times we uh, we talk tennis and the discussion becomes what we need to change and how you know fo- formats have to change and what the flaws are. It's it's nice to hear uh, it's nice to hear your perspective. That's great. Thank you, Eric Buderak. You are. The pride of Minnesota, and D three <laughs> tennis overall good guy. Go, uh, go enjoy Mets nightlife. Thanks, for, uh, <laughs> right. thanks, that was great. Thanks for uh, thanks for stopping by. Always a pleasure, John. Good chatting. Take care. You too. See you down the road.